Welcome to Tag Talks Happy Hour with Ajit Kara. One part small talk, all parts real talk. This is the part of the day when Ajit gets to know the people behind the job titles at Tag. Hello, my name's Ajit Kara, and I'm the CEO of Tag Americas, and welcome to my podcast. As you know, I decided to do this podcast to get underneath, um, in my view, the most important asset that we have, which is our people, what makes them tick, and spend some time with them. I'm delighted that due to the success of that, I'm now expanding that and talking to some of my favorite customers. Uh, the reason being is that I think that they also have something to add into what makes them tick, and I think folks can learn from their journey as well. So I'm delighted today that I've got a guy called JT Pierce, a very friendly client of ours, I'm going to introduce you to him in a minute. We connected the first time I met him, so I'm delighted that he's agreed to spend some time with me on the podcast. But as always, this podcast is produced by Kaylee Stansfield. Hey, Kaylee, how are you doing? I'm well, Ajit. How are you today? Not too bad. How is your week going? Pretty good. Today, I'm wearing a watch for the first time in years. I can't remember the last time I wore a watch, and it feels really weird. I'm so accustomed to watching the time on my iPhone. It looks expensive. (laughs) It's not my most expensive watch, but it's a nice watch. Uh, Actually, it reminds me of a uh, billboard I saw recently from uh, Timex where they were advertising an analog watch and uh, the caption on the billboard was, know the time without seeing you have 1,249 unanswered emails. And I thought, oh. That's clever. JT, you are the director of Creative Studio of a friendly client of ours. But welcome to my podcast. Thank Cheers. you very much, sir. This is fantastic. And, uh, thank you. And we've got to take a sip of the wine and think what you, see what you think. I know you asked for Pinot Noir, and I didn't deliver on that. I apologize. You know what? It's free wine in the middle of the day, so <laughs> it's fantastic. Thank good you. Point, good point, mate. Well, so JT, where are you from? Where do you live? I live in San Francisco, California, um, and I've been out in the Bay for about 12, 13 years. Oh, wow. Originally from Massachusetts, so... Definitely still an East Coast guy, uh, <laughs> but I just live in a new surrounding now. So, do you miss the leaves? I'm colorblind. <laughs> Are you? Uh, yeah, I'm colorblind. So, like, the leaves all kind of look the same at all times to me. That's very fact. Because I, I know people that have gone to the West Coast. And it's beautiful, and San Francisco is one of my favorite cities. Actually, it's a beautiful city. But I know people from the West Coast that have come from the East Coast, they miss fall a lot. You know, the change of temperature, the, the leaves, you know, but obviously you've adjusted well. You know, I think uh, San Francisco has some of the most beautiful, like natural landscape. You can drive one hour in any direction and you can be in the mountains, you can be in the woods, you can be on a beach. It's also kind of like always autumn weather. Yeah. I like layers. I like light jackets. So, like, it's pretty perfect in that regard. <laughs> and as a JT, where, so in Massachusetts, you, you were raised by your family? Yep. I was raised primarily, you know, from age 12 on with a single mom. Oh, wow. um, before that, I had a father, passed away when I, was, um, when I was 12. And so I lived with my mom and my brother. And it was, you know, outside of like a couple of, of kind of like losses from a family standpoint, which obviously are big and traumatic and shaped, have shaped me a lot. My childhood was pretty good. My mom did an amazing job at keeping the kids in sports and activities and teaching us sort of the right way to go and work ethic and things like that. So I had a pretty, what I would call typical and good upbringing outside of, you know, some loss. It shows what the strength that your mother is and the sort of fellow that you are. And, you know, without wishing to pry, it must be something horrific to go through that I know 
We have covered on prior podcasts mental well-being and we've dealt with people that have had losses as well. And I think it's so important that people talk about it, people understand that, you know, folks do go through horrible things and yet people come out the other end and, and you know, it shows the nature of your mother and how you've taken that on board. Yeah, I think it was, a you know, a little bit later in my life that I realized that loss and, and things that I've gone through do not define, but they definitely shape me. And those two things can exist at one time. You know, you can choose to be defined by and to hold on to the loss, the trauma, whatever those things are. Or you can, you know, in my case, I've, I really tried to use it to shape my outlook, my behaviors, the way that I live. And a huge part of that was was obviously my mom and, and how she brought us up. It must have made you very strong because I, I know, you know, you basically left Massachusetts to California on your own. Yep. No job. No friends. <laughs> yeah, a couple friends, couple but friends. no job. That, yeah, sure. no job. That's yeah. brave. And what made you make that jump? You know, I think it was just, I like new experiences. I'm always sort of inspired and driven by that. That was a new one for me. I, my whole family, my whole mom's side of the family is from the West Coast. It's actually kind of funny. My mom at age 25 moved from the Bay Area to Massachusetts. Oh, and I backwards exact, and forwards. Exact opposite. <laughs> But yeah, to me, it was just about experiencing something new. Uh, a lot of it w was kind of career driven in that I just felt like being in the Bay Area, being in San Francisco would open up a lot more possibilities. And I was scared of New York. It felt too big. Yeah. I'm a Red Sox fan, <laughs> right? There's like so many things that I just wasn't sure of. So San Francisco is the place and it's been wonderful. So you have to believe I know what Red Sox is, but as an immigrant, which grew up in the UK, I still have to take a stab at, is that football or is that baseball? Baseball. Or baseball. Okay. baseball. I was yep. one out of two. Yep. Baseball. <laughs> but you look very sporty. I've got to be honest, you look very sporty indeed. Yeah. What, what is your favorite sport? First of all, I, I want to acknowledge and appreciate that you called me sporty looking. <laughs> I don't get that very often. Um, but you're good looking as well, by the way. Oh, thank you. That's what I think so much. I My number one sport to play is golf. I'm like an oh, obsessive, wow. obsessive golfer. I'm um, not very good, but I like it a lot. And then I'm a huge hockey fan, so I watch a lot of hockey. That's the oh, that's wow. the spectator sport for me. Did you play hockey? I did, but I kind of stopped growing at a time when like you needed <laughs> to keep growing. Is that because you can? I love watching hockey because it it looks like a violent sport and they have fun out there. Yeah. And you know, how did you deal with that? Like, you know, I mean, as a, like a going through puberty and being a teenager, <laughs> you have a lot of like feelings, Frustration. frustrations that you want to get out. And it was always good and healthy to be able to go out there and like, <laughs> you know, just skate at full speed into another person that felt the same way. Um, yeah, I do that on the ice swing and people don't like that for some reason. Yeah, well, you got to get, that's got to be consensual. You have to be on there and you both have to agree like that, that this is what we're doing. But I, but I grew up playing hockey. And I think hockey is a sport that it's, you don't, especially in the Northeast where I grew up, it's not a casual pick it up when the season's going. It is, you play hockey, your family plays hockey, your parents are hockey parents and you are, you know, on the road and doing travel stuff. And it was like really, really a huge part of me growing up in my social circle and understanding how to, the sort of hierarchy in a locker room and how to, how to interact with others that were my age and things like that. So I wasn't great, but... I had a great time and it taught me a we'll lot. We'll come back to the impact of sport on work because I think there is an impact on you know, team mentality and how you drive things. But I don't want to let you off hook on golf being your favorite sport yet. And tell me a bit more about, you know, why it's your favorite sport because I play golf. Uh, hopefully we can play one day. My golf is 
worse than bad. Mm. Is it bad, worse than... It, it's not good. I also choose to play Ajit's rules, which is if I don't like the lay of the ball, I'm allowed to move it. You, know? and, you see, and, that uh, says a lot about you. This is the thing about <laughs> golf, right? Like, I think that uh, I like golf because it is a... This is so this is so cliche, but in many ways, it's like there's a lot of symbolism to life, right? There is resiliency and how you deal with emotion, how you deal with rules or how you don't deal with rules. Like, and for me, I get, I get, uh, you know, an athletic fulfillment from it. I get a community aspect because I belong to a course where it's the same, you know, group of guys that are out there all the time. And then there's definitely like a, an aspect of strategy and kind of almost like spiritual thing that I can tap into that in my regular day, I mean, I my attention is divided. On a good day, it's divided between 150 things and I'm moving really quickly and I'm not as present as I should be. And in golf, I have to be. Yeah. I can only focus on one thing. I have to I have to control my breathing. I have to be very, very dialed in. And, and so I really enjoy that. I can relate to that because I like the fact that I don't like some of the pompousness that sits with some of the traditional golf clubs, but I do like a lot of the rules and they're there for a reason. So when you're playing for three hours, you know, maybe three and a half to four hours for me because I walk a lot longer than most because I'm going diagonally. But it's a long time to be playing a sport and... I like the fact that you're not meant to use your phone on the courses, that you're not meant to be checking emails, that you're not meant to be taking phone calls. You're meant to be utterly focused on what you're doing. And there's very few things these days that you can be three, three and a half hours where you are not engaged with some sort of technology or some sort of work and you're having a conversation with the, you know, the other one or you know, three other people that you're playing with. That's actually quite... Yeah, it's a sociable thing. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. It's a wonderful release, will be my view. We've got to get out there then. <laughs> I'm ready. Let me know. And what is your handicap, can I ask? I think right now I'm like a 3.4. Oh, my God. Wow. I'm definitely not playing you for money. Good luck, Ajit. Yeah, I know. Well, that's actually the interesting thing about golf is it's probably one of the only games where you can still have a lot of fun and you play with someone like me that's just about 28, so I haven't really got a handicap yet. But if you play with the etiquette, you can play someone that's brilliant and someone that's not very good and totally. still have a great game. It's the only We can't play tennis, for example, with two talents that are so you know, not there. It's the only game I know where you can still have fun with people. Yep, I have two rules. It's, you know, don't be an ass. I don't yep. know if I can swear on this, but don't be no, an ass. Can. And just, like, play fast. Yeah. Just, just that. Those are the only two things. Yeah. If you can do that, then I have... I'll play with I'll play with anyone. So. <laughs> and so, how is golf driving your other passions? Then it's a great question. I actually think that uh, I think that it it does help me with uh, with focus. That's like a huge one. It helps me with pressure, learning how to regulate sort of my own like my own bodily reactions to things. So being aware of in a high pressure situation, if I'm getting racing thoughts, if my heart starts beating you, you know really it. quickly yeah. i can recognize it and i can start to do the things that i do when i'm preparing to take a shot that's Maybe interesting there's a little bit more pressure yeah. which all leads back to things like breath control and meditation it's my meditation i'm too impatient to meditate so golf is kind of like my my version of it you come across as an incredibly calm balanced individual in a very fast moving world like you work in an environment that yesterday is actually too late and that must create a lot of stress. And then did you go to California specifically to target the sort of, you know, the fast moving businesses, the kind of future? I mean, what made you get into this kind of, 
did you fall into it or did you kind of target it? Yeah, I sort of fell into it. I didn't know what I was going to do. I wasn't a great student in high school. Right. I sort of pulled it together for college. I started an online business with my roommate our sophomore year. And we built a website and we got everybody at our school on this website and we started throwing parties. And so it became this like creative expression to sort of, you know, be entrepreneurial. And with it, I loved all anything that had to do with like the branding of what we were doing, designing our logo or oh, coming up with the communications of what, you know. So from there, we did that for a couple of years and eventually I had to get a, you know, an actual job that paid me and uh, <laughs> where I got insurance. But the, but the hunger for marketing came from that, I guess. I think it came from that. And I think it came from just like the love of storytelling, like my family, my mother's side of the family. Uh, my cousin's a journalist and my, both my cousins are journalists and some of the best storytellers I've ever heard are on that side of things. And so I, I always just like was around that. And I think marketing to me always was that. That's an incredibly insightful perspective that I've always maintained and I tell it to some of our folks, but you've articulated it way better than me, which is what we help our clients do is storytell. It might be in a 15 second thing or 30 minute or 30 seconds you know, like, like that but the time can be short but we're still trying to tell a story and we always have to keep reminding ourselves of that and i think you do that particularly well in what you do you're always keeping us to, to account on that yeah no i appreciate it i think you know it's been said but to me storytelling is it is innately the way that human beings a way that human beings take in information remember information i saw something about these these people who have these incredible ability to memorize massive sequences of numbers, could be hundreds or thousands of numbers. And the way that they do it is they create a story. They relate the numbers to colors, to moments, and they just tell a story. And through that story, they're able to, to say what these numbers are because you know, really what we do is we attach meaning to things. And if we attach meaning to things, hopefully, you know, that sticks and, and it, you know, creates behaviors in consumers. But anyway, I fell into the career. And then once I was in it, I was just like, uh, you know, I think really, really open. I started at the bottom as a, you know, project manager routing folders at a marketing agency in Connecticut. And I sort of realized like, it's very much a people's, a people business. And if I could follow through on the things that I said I was going to do and then do them really well, whether that was order food for the team or send out FedEx packages, which is basically what I did for the first you yeah, know, year yeah, of my career, start, yeah. then um, I would be able to sort of like earn the trust of the people who mattered, who could help me, you know, who could help kind of guide me. And, and so that was like my very, very first lesson, I guess, in, in sort of career development. I have to say, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. You know, folks that have gone through rising within an industry, they've done the small stuff that move on to slightly bigger stuff than slightly bigger stuff. I think it does inform how you do things going forward. I've always been a big advocate. I remember early on in my career, I would, uh, there was this spreadsheet that was going around and I joined and I was in that honeymoon period where you don't have enough to do. So I went up to this guy and I just said like, I'll do it, can I do it? Like, you know, I'll have a go. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll have a go. And he was surprised and I got quite a lot of it wrong, but he appreciated me trying it. And so trying and pushing yourself is actually quite a good reminder of how people can grow their skill set. It's not until you try something and maybe make a mistake, but, you know, pushing yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I think especially for me with, I am a person who possesses at best average anything. Oh, I think you say yourself short. No, 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 no. I think my mom's actually even told me this, but like, I think <laughs> I, I think she's pushing you. Yeah, I think like the work ethic that has helped me a lot and like resiliency, those two things to kind of like 
finish what I say I'm going to do, have a really high focus on the quality of that. And I always knew that I would have to, whatever I was going to do, if I was going to be successful, I had to, I had to sort of take that approach. So I always took a lot of pride. This is kind of old school thinking, right? But I always took a lot of pride in first in, last out. That was me early in my career. I was first in, last out. And I took a lot of pride in being that person um, and just putting in the hours. I think that I think that shows, but I also think that my observation is that you also do see the bigger picture. So when when you are making those observations, you're very in the moment. You're very calm, and you do see the bigger picture. And and you do something that is actually an invaluable skill is that you bring people to the party. People want to work hard for the way that you drive the team. That's actually pretty important. It's an important skill set. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. What excites you? about being in our industry maybe yeah today and where you see it going but what sort of things you know make you really hungry i think early in my career quite frankly it was i like bright lights and flashing things <laughs> and and i thought that that was a you know that that sort of satisfied for me like a, a career i could be in spreadsheets or i could be in a career of like commercials and i didn't realize but i would be in a commercial a career of like spreadsheets within commercials but <laughs> and then i think it got to a point in my career where i was making things i loved making things i loved you know being a part of the process to create some amazing creative and, output. and then see the sense of satisfaction when it's done yeah. totally totally and then when my mom would ask me so did you make that and i would say no i didn't make that i'm on the account side and she'd say so you're an accountant i'd say no i helped facilitate an overall process and it but then i think now it's the people right it's it's like solving business challenges by getting the right people together you know, creating outcomes that are favorable towards that thing. And I think for me, it's definitely I gear towards the creative side of marketing because I still love to be a, all of those things that that I've liked throughout my career are still very much a part of what I like. I, I still like shiny things. I still like making things. But I overall, I like I really like being a part of a team where we can get some really gnarly business problems and then get the best out of individual specialists to create something. I don't think the industry gets enough credit for when you nail it, it can change the world. And and I get this for, you know, when you do some amazing campaigns for the company that you work for, and when they get it right, it's not just about trying to sell a product, it's about trying to change something. And that's quite you know, gratifying, you know, um, humbling and important. Yeah, I think, you know, creativity can be used in so many ways. Yeah. We use it oftentimes in commercial ways. Uh, but the fundamental thing that we're doing is, is getting people together to come up with creative solutions. And like that could be on how to wire this room better or mm -hmm. how to create you know, a setting in here that feels really good to your guests and, and you when you come in. I mean, creativity can be applied to anything. Yeah. And I love uh, being able to like use creativity, but to harness it in a way that it can solve business challenges as kind of like, corny as that sounds like no. I, I like that no, that's fun are you going to tell the audience what your unique skill is sure sure so i'll tell a little bit of a story so the story starts when i was in high school this is probably like 2001 2002 i went to high school in a place called worcester massachusetts and there are a few things about worcester massachusetts that are that, that you could say one of them being in the early 2000s rap music and still today rap music is like the thing like people all of my friends listen to rap music it was a, it was a major part of like our childhood and and coming up and a lot of my friends would freestyle rap and i never freestyle rap it was not a thing that i did 
I was just too sort of like reserved. I wasn't able to think fast enough and all these things. So fast forward a little while, I went away to college and my freshman year of college, I, on Halloween night, I, some friends and I had a great time. I may or may not have ingested some mind altering substances <laughs> that opened some sort of like trap door in my brain and allowed me for the first time ever to freestyle rap. Wow. Where I could actually think very, very quickly of words that rhymed. And this is no joke. That night I couldn't, I couldn't sleep, right? I, sleeping was not an option for me that night. So I was laying in like the study hall and I was just like Freestyle doing happy. this in my head. And this was like in 2000 and I want to say like 2004, 2003, 2004. And ever since then I've been able to do this and it's become more of a party trick than anything else where I can just like, yeah, throw on a beat and I'm usually able to sort of like come up with words really quickly that rhyme. And you know, like it depends on what kind of circle you're in. Some people would be like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. I can't believe you can do this. And then there's another group that are like, hey, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And then if you like really in it, there are people like, what are you doing? Right? So there's like a, there's like a spectrum to I it. I think I'd be in the camp of that's just amazing. Yeah. Because I, I struggle to string two sentences together that make any sense. So for that, I think it's a huge skill. And I will make it a mission of mine to have dinner, have as much alcohol as I can with you, or try and beat you at golf to establish the environment where I can hear that. That's fine. You know what? We can come back here at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning into the podcast room and, and we'll do it. Yeah, Way down for sure. Track. Yeah, yeah exactly. Track. Exactly. Now, coming back to what would you, that's a perfect segment into where would you like your passion to go? If you had no boundaries, what would you, you know, love to do? I think there's, there's probably a couple things. I think um, the like vocation. And the thing that I think is like really interesting to me is to like, I would love to work in golf. I would love to, yeah. you know, I think that golf's at like a crazy crossroads just with the pandemic. And it's this really old sort of like stuffy sport that it, now you can see it with the media, the fashion, all the different sort of like things that are popping up around. I think Hypebeast opened up a, a like a pop-up golf experience yeah. in the city here the technology There's, is incredible now isn't it uh, totally and even even the way that that people are you know youtubers are bigger stars than pga tour players mm -hmm. right so there's a lot going on in golf that I think is really interesting I would love to spend time in that world I think my ideal job would probably be like a golf influencer or blogger or travel writer because then at that point like you're staying in five star hotels and just writing about your golf experience at some of the nicest places in the world I would like that and then I think like the other thing which I actually am lucky that I get a chance to do is, you know, in my own way, I, I like to help people. I like to help people with their careers. I like to help people get out of sticky situations when it comes to like work things or, you know, find something inside of themselves that they didn't think they had. Like those, that's a passion of mine. And I used to think I wanted to be a teacher or my mom used to say, you should be a child psychologist because you I know childhood that. trauma and all this. And, I, and I, I, there's something with any job, especially now at this point in my career, like jobs that, that I find the most sort of satisfaction and gratification in are ones where I can help people sort of like become better versions of themselves, become better than me. Like I like doing that. I can see both. I can see number one with the golf will be a lot more fun for you. It would be fun. Number two will be better for the rest of us because I think actually I can see the impact that you would have on that. I really can. Yeah. It's a part of my career that I never really, I definitely never, I never thought of as a, I never thought of myself as, um, I guess like a mentor or, you know, cause I was, I think 
as you get further in your career, and I take this bit seriously myself, that you get to a point where what you say counts, how you mentor someone counts, how you drive the agenda with people. How, you know, that what, you know, I'm very conscious that I say this to my team and Kelly all the time. I'm very conscious that, you know, if I say something inappropriately or if I drive the strategy in the wrong place, it can affect people and their livelihood and their careers. And that's an enormous responsibility that I take seriously. I think you have to think about, you know, making people feel differently, be better. And so it's an enormous responsibility. For it, is. it is. And it forces, I like to look at things like, um, I, I know people, it's like the conversation we we're having before we started recording of two things being true at once, right? Like in some ways, I don't want to care what people think or say about me. But in other ways, the way you make people feel and what they say about you as a result is, is to me of the utmost importance. I don't necessarily care if people like me or not, although it's nicer when they do. I think, you know, the legacy of and, and the reputation that you create more often than not is a pretty accurate representation of, of sort of uh, your impact on other people. And I think that to me feels like anytime I am interviewing a candidate or I'm checking references, when I start to hear a lot of through lines and similarities and consistency, and you can get a sense of like, if you hear about from two different bosses, a client and someone, you know, a direct report, and they say, this person is a problem solver, like nobody else I've ever seen, they can come in and they can solve problems. Then I know as a hiring manager, okay, there's something in this person that is that. And so while I don't think you should be driven or defined by what other people say about you, I think um, making it a point to really like be in control of that thing is is like a powerful, powerful tool. And I think the problem with, you know, well, not the problem, but the challenge that we have today is that I don't think we, the fast pace of business, the way that business operates today may not give folks the chance to be problem solvers. And so we have to create the environment for them to be problem solvers. You know, when we were growing up in our careers, I think it allowed more people to experiment what problem solving meant. I think today we're expecting a high level of demand performance without the problem solving bit first. Yeah, I think that's true. I think especially there's the speed at which we work. I think there's a lot of a lot of factors, including, you know, the pandemic and everything that's happened over the last couple of years. I think things are becoming much more transactional. Yeah, everything. Yeah. So like we're going to interact in a 30 minute Zoom. And as soon as that's done, exactly. I'm out and we're talking about the next thing. And so I think as it relates to dealing with clients and I think doing things like this, I love this. Yeah. We're going to go have a dinner tonight. Those are the types of things that I think uh, help to combat the transactional nature of, of the work that we're in, because it's really hard to like gain trust. It's really hard to problem solve um, in that environment. Well, and I do this selfishly that um, from when I talk to some of the people that work for TAG and I talk to folks like you, I learn. It's been an incredible conversation because I learn more and more. You've been a wonderful guest. Um, this is your opportunity to ask me anything. Yeah, you know, I really thought about this. There's a lot of questions I have for I'm you. I'm a bit scared. I think uh, one question that feels hyper-relevant is this is one of the things, this podcast is one of the things that you're doing, you know, as you explained it, to kind of like create that sense of culture and curiosity amongst the employees of TAG. What are some of the significant, like, what are some of the things that you see looking ahead to, you know, the agency of the future or, or sort of like being in the creative services industry, 
What do you see as some of the things that really, really need to change and, and where should agency and marketing leaders be looking to sort of like, you know, be, become an agency of the future, if you will? I mean, that, that's a great question and, and a huge one in terms of there's so many, there's so many layers of where I think the market, the model, the client should go. But I think it come, if I was to narrow it down to the purpose of this podcast and, you know, why I'm doing this and some of the things that we talked about, people, it's about people, you know, and coordinating and marshalling the right talent, which is becoming harder, bringing on that new talent, uh, training that talent, giving people the time to make mistakes, to get the people empathy going. And, and so, you know, for organizations like TAG, for us to be great partners with our customers and our you know, agencies, it is around how we align talent, capability, uh, and the right model to make a successful output, whatever that output might actually be. Any other question, though? Was that? Uh, no, I think that was the big one. I really appreciate uh, you having me on. This has been really fun. You have an amazing outlook. I know that my team utterly enjoy working for your organization because of you specifically. And now having to met you, you, you know, you're an all-round good guy. You know, I've dealt with, you know, tragedy at a young age, but have come out, thanks to your mum and yourself, an incredibly strong human being that has empathy with lots of folks and an inner calmness that I think is delightful to see. And please take pity on me when I play golf with you. And totally. And earlier you had said good looking as well. So if you could just add that. <laughs> Cheers. And incredibly good looking too. Thank you, Cheers. I did. Appreciate you. it. Join us soon for another episode of Tag Talk's Happy Hour with Ajit Kara and learn more about the people behind the job titles at Tag. Thank you.